Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We're actually going to pick up in verse 15, as we didn't really adequately cover that last time. So we'll be in Hebrews 13, verse 15, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Jesus came to bring you peace. Jesus came to bring you peace. And so here we are in our last study, verse by verse through the book of Hebrews. We launched into studying Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, on January 20th, 2018. And we've taken verse by verse along the way. We don't have any artificial time frame or timelines. We address the text as it comes up, and then we address the, the current events that are going on, and we go, we go through various things of, of wanting the Holy Spirit to speak to us. But now we're finally in this last section where we'll end in Hebrews 13, notice with me, verse 15. Therefore by him, speaking of Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. So let's pause there and grab some context. Go back to the verse therefore in verse 12. Notice therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. So there's a conclusion there. Then he comes to another conclusion. Because of what Jesus did, and that word therefore, uh, you can always replace the word therefore with this phrase because of, because of. So, so when you look at it, you go, because of what you just read, then you now, let's go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Remember we learned last time as believers, we're really the outsiders. We're not the insiders of culture. There is, really a, there, there is truly a real distinction of us being outside of what's normal in this culture, as it should be. Christians are countercultural. Jesus Christ is, was, and will always be countercultural. His message is not acceptable in this culture. It's not liked. It's not wanted. It is dismissed. It is redefined. And so we choose to identify with him. And we go outside the camp. And we bear his reproach. And I, I saw in the New Living Translation, I was rereading re this section this week, and outside the camp, and that reproach was translated disgrace. That we follow Jesus and we, we associate with his disgrace and how he was treated. And he says, now with that in mind, he says in verse 14, for, which is another, these are all concluding words, can say the same thing, because of, because of, and then verse 14, because here we have no continuing city. There's, no, there's nothing for us here. There, there's nothing of lasting value on the earth. But we seek the one that's to come. Because of all that, we need to continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, verse 16, for we do, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Suffering, going through great hardship, literally drains the joy and worship out of a person. 
And I'm sure many of you can relate. You just, you just down and it's difficult and worship isn't something that you're interested in. And don't think of just worship in terms of song, although here it is focused on song because he uses the word praise. But, but worship in, in, in encompasses everything about our lives. Everything that we do can be an act and sacrifice of worship. But in particular here, he is referring to singing. That we offer to God the sacrifice of singing, especially when things are hard. Because as, it, as the joy and worship drains out of you, you just get tired of it all. And you get mad and sad and upset. You choose to isolate yourself and run away. And Paul says in the midst of this, remember in chapter 13 is just a bunch of exhortations, a lot of small encouragements, there's a lot of small uh, instructions. And he says, hey, don't forget to continually offer the sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice of praise, he matches, notice also in verse 16, with doing good and sharing. And he puts them all together in a place of sacrifices, where, you know, when you think of sacrifice, it's something that you do that you truly don't want to do, or something that you do that costs you something, that that brings to you a personal self-denial when you think of sacrifice, a personal self-denial. You know, oftentimes when we think of sacrifice, we, we think of the animals being offered on the, uh, and that's what they would immediately think of, the animals being offered on the altar at the temple that were offered in order to appease God and to obey God. But now no longer are we sacrificing animals because Jesus was sacrificed. Now we have the privilege of sacrificing praise because worship is the highest activity that we'll ever attain to in life. It is that vertical relationship with God. In Revelation chapter four, verse 11, I like how the old King James, the original King James translates this. In Revelation four eleven, it says, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We were created to worship God. It is his desire. It is his will for us to sacrifice praise. Sacrifice means when you don't want to do it, when you don't desire to. This is a way to be encouraged. It's often what we'll refer to when you're giving of your tithes and offerings, that that many times there is a giving of sacrifice. It it, it costs you, it's painful. And, And it's amazing because giving Giving is one of the easiest things. It it is one of those things that you can truly give without much pain at all. It it is a very easy thing to do to write a check or set up online. It's very easy to do. Well, singing is even easier. It's even easier to sing to God. But it requires you to to, to deny yourself in those times when you're under great weight of pain and sorrow and difficulty to sing. That's why it's one of the good, one of the reasons I think God created us to be together. Because even when you're fighting God, when you know you should be singing, you know you should be, you just don't. Or you won't. Or it's just overwhelming and you're sad and you don't want to. Where you're in a room with other people that are singing and sometimes you just kind of ride their song and their voice. 
you just kind of ride along and go, you know, I don't want to sing, but the guy next to me, I, I mean, he's singing loud enough for all of us, so I'm just going to ride along with him. And it's okay to do that. But all along the way, that's intended to be an encouragement to you, that you too can be the voice to encourage someone else. And then there's a voice added to a voice, added to a voice, and before you know it, the room is filled with encouragement. It's one of the reasons why we have brought back to our church, um, our church services the reading out loud of the Bible together, because it's just so encouraging to hear the Bible read out loud by the brother next to you and the sister behind you, where the word of God fills the room, but it also fills our hearts. And doing good. You, you really want to get out of your funk that you're in right now and out of the difficulty, start doing good. Offer the sacrifice of praise and start doing good and sharing what you have. It's so counterintuitive. In tough times, we begin to, to just circle, circle, the, circle around everything that we have and that we are, and we start to self-protect ourselves, and it just makes things worse. Today, right now, you'll have an opportunity in just a few moments to sing again. Offer the sacrifice. Obey God. As deep and as difficult, even if you're online right now or listening on the radio, like offer to God, obey him. Let him meet you in that place of obedience. And then choose to do good and to share with what you have. Don't hoard it, but give it away as unto the Lord. As we have been talking, be the church and allow him to use you. Notice verse 17 we covered, but it's worth reading for the context. Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So we covered that in a couple studies. Uh, those are available. I'd encourage you uh, to pick those up on the app or on the website. Verse 18, pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I might be restored to you the sooner. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, Bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you, and all the saints, those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. I'm sure this hasn't been an easy letter for the first century Hebrew believers to receive. It has been a strong exhortation of a letter. It's been filled with strong warnings. And you don't expect strong warnings when you're suffering. But remember, when you're suffering, when you're doubting, when you're wrestling with things, you're in a vulnerable place. And while God may send you a brother or sister to encourage you, you have to expect that God will send you someone that will exhort you that will look you in the eye and say, this is not the way you should go. These are not the decisions you should make. You consider God high and lifted up. Remember what you've been taught 
And you can go through the entirety of the book of Hebrews and just like, whoa, wait, wait, whoa, wait a minute. Don't you know how hard it is? Don't you know what I've lost? Don't you know what we're going through? And you can hear along the way. I'm certain for many of you, if you, whatever time you've been with us through the book of Hebrews, it hasn't been easy for you either. Where you're thinking, and even then, what did he do? A couple of times he, he took them into deep, deep controversial doctrines. He goes, here's one of your problems. You don't believe right. That's your problem. You don't have the right belief. So let's sort out your right beliefs because Paul knew that if you have the right beliefs, then you'll behave properly. So what does Paul say? He says in verse 22, he says, hey, I, I'm, I appeal to you. Would you just bear with this word of exhortation? Stick with me. And he says, it's kind of comical. I've written to you in a few words. I don't know what a few words means to him, but that seemed like a lot of words in the book of Hebrews. But he's like, hey, I could have said, it's like he's saying, I could have said much more. I could have said so much more to you, but I think what I've shared is enough. It was a hard letter to receive. You got wavering, wandering, backsliding, ready to give it all up, people that are already vulnerable, and they receive a letter that's strongly worded, a strongly worded letter, a correction. And who likes correction? Especially when you're already ready to throw in the towel anyway. You, would, you wouldn't expect to be corrected, but correction is a part of good, solid friendship. And notice it back in verse 18, he says, I want you to pray for us. I want you to pray for us. After all that he said, he sends them into prayer. And he says, pray for us because we're confident that we are living with a good conscience. There's a confidence in what Paul wrote, what the author wrote here, that I did so with my conscience clean. And it's a good thing to be able to look you in the eye and say, my conscience is clean. I'm not hiding anything. I'm not holding back anything. I have a confidence because I was obedient. And, and not only that, he says, I have a conscience that's in all things desiring to live honorably. I have a clean conscience for the moment, but I intend to live with a clean conscience going forward. And let me just say the best route, the best road to a clean conscience is honesty. Being honest with God, which leads to being honest with yourself, which leads to being honest with other ones. In John, in 1 John, we actually learn that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light has that, that picture of honesty. Honesty leads to a clean conscience. And so Paul says he has one. And he's saying that he believes in prayer. Notice what he wanted to pray for. He says, I'm urging you, verse 19, that you pray so that I could come to you sooner. He really believes in the power of prayer. He's reminding them that prayer genuinely affects things. And he believes that if they pray for him, that he might, become, he might be able to join them sooner than expected. That barriers will be taken out of the way. Doors would be opened. And we believe here, when we pray, when we seek the Father in the name of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, that our prayers can affect things and change things. That, that God wants to change human government and natural law. He wants to exhibit miraculous works that would get our attention upon him. He wants to bring healing, 
physically, emotionally, practically, medically. But one of the challenges when it comes to prayer, of course, is, well, then how does God do that? How does it work? And many of you are stuck right now in your prayer life because you need, you're just like in your mind, whether you voice it or not, you're just demanding to know how. And so you may even email me, or you might call the radio, you might come after, how does prayer work? And I'll give you the answer. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't have that explanation for you. It's one of the mysteries that God has held close to his chest, if you will. And instead, he just says, pray. Trust me. I don't, know, I don't understand all the dynamics of prayer, how God chooses to use it. I just know he does. And I know that God honors prayer. And I know that God uses prayer. And I not only see it in the Bible, but I've seen it in my own life. And that God will use prayer to draw me to him more than anything. That before the answer ever comes, he is the answer. And I'm drawn to trust him. And then he says in verse 20, now may the God of peace. I love that. The God of peace. To a group of people that are in turmoil, to a group of people that are worried, to a group of people that are, are flustered and wandering and worrying, he reminds them it's the God of peace. Don't forget, God has peace for you. And it's such an encouragement and reminder. Not only is he a God of peace, but he's powerful. And he brought up the Lord Jesus from the dead. You guys think it's just a simple decision because you're going through great trials right now but your faith in Jesus Christ is rooted in the power of the resurrection and the hope of the resurrection. Not only that, but you want to go ahead, away from verse 20, your great shepherd of the sheep. The great shepherd, in, you know, in the New King James, it has shepherd capitalized. This is the shepherd that, that taught us and demonstrated that he lays down his life for the sheep. You want to leave Jesus? He died for you. You want to leave Jesus? He rose again from the dead for you. You want to leave Jesus? He's living in you. And he points you and me to the God of all peace. Hold your places here. Let's turn back to Romans chapter 5 for a moment. Romans chapter 5. It's good to be reminded today that you have peace with God. And that peace with God has come through the finished work of Jesus. You don't have to fight God anymore. You don't have to be angry with the Lord anymore. You can have a simple life with a clean conscience filled with prayer, obedience, praising, doing good, sharing, and enjoying life. Notice verse one of chapter five of Romans. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Do you notice that phrase in verse one? We have peace with God. God has made peace with us. And those that have peace, verse two, now have access to grace. You're able to stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then he says in verse three, not only that, but we also glory in our tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that was given to us. Verse six, 
For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a lot to unpack there, but the emphasis here is your peace with God. The war with God is over. I mean, that's how the Bible describes you apart from Christ. Like, like perhaps you're here today and you aren't in relationship with God. You're upset with God. You maybe are an atheist and you came uh, as a guest perhaps, or you're kind of curious, but, but you're really not interested in the things of God. You're just kind of enduring this time that we call our church service. Well, the Bible says it's more, you're more than just a visitor. You're at war with God. You've taken a position fighting God. You, you've taken a position in your life, in your belief system right now, that you want to continue to fight against your creator who loves you, gave his son for you, that while you were without any strength, is how you're described now, God loves you and demonstrated his love to you by sending his son Jesus into your life. I don't know if you've ever considered that you're at war with God. And you know, there, there's nothing pretty about war. Nothing. At the, at the very worst, it, it devastates in the loss of life. And if you didn't lose your life, then you lose limbs. And cities and countries are destroyed because of war. Lives are ruined because of war. Minds are devastated. What we now call today PTSD has always been with us. Because the atrocities of war in the physical realm are horrific. They're horrific. But so too are the atrocities of war with God. It destroys lives. People will go their whole life just refusing to believe in God, refusing to agree with God, refusing to admit that God is who he says he is. And yet by faith, you immediately experience peace. And I think that's an important gift that we would treasure is we have peace. We're no longer fighting God. We're no longer striving. Or even more so, the Father, he has no record of wrong against you anymore. There, there is no resistance from God. You now have peace. Not only do you have peace with God, but it comes from the peace of God. You now can enjoy peace and rest. It encourages faith. You're not separated anymore. I think the word that best describes a person not at peace with God is troubled. Troubled. Just never really settled. And God wants you to be settled today. He wants you to enjoy his peace. Even if you're considering going backwards, even if you're considering throwing in the towel, even if you're considering turning your back on church, even if you've chosen now the route of deconstructing your faith. God wants you to enjoy peace. He wants you not to deconstruct your faith. He wants you to build your faith. He, want you, he wants you to surrender in deeper ways. I mean, I want you to go backwards to the moment you were born again when God reached to you and said, he accepts you as you are. That's pretty powerful. I have the privilege of declaring to you today that God accepts you as you are. He receives you as you are. 
There, there isn't anything that you could do to clean up your life to make you acceptable to God. He accepts you as you are. Now, maybe you've encountered Christians and churches along the way that haven't accepted as you as you are. And they've actually pushed you away from taking deeper steps in your relationship with Jesus. I'm sorry about that. You've encountered the weakness of man. We remain weak in our lives. We continue to make mistakes. We continue to sin. And, and some have even adopted beliefs about God or theologies about God that have made them very judgmental. But when you get back to the root of who Jesus is, he accepts you as you are. I couldn't help but think last night of many examples in the life of Jesus, but I remember one in particular. We, we are, remember this story about this encounter with Jesus as Jesus meeting this woman caught in the midst of adultery. And that's what many of the headings in your, the subheadings, you know, if you have a Bible that have a, a lot of subheadings, those actually aren't inspired words. Those are translators trying to help you understand what you're about to read. And so that's how we remember it, the woman caught in the midst of adultery. But there's so much more to the story than that little title. Because we have a woman that is basically living her life like she did every day. She was involved in the sex trade and that's what she did. That's how she made a living. And she sold her body or involved herself in sexual relations with other men, with many other men. The problem on this particular day is that a group of men set her up. I mean, imagine that. She was set up. Matter of fact, she wasn't just set up by any group of men. She was set up by religious men. Men that were, in, were instructed or put in a position to lead people in obeying and worshiping God. But they had fallen far from the original calling that God had in their lives. And so they set up this encounter and they get her connected with a guy and somehow, although the Bible doesn't say exactly, and I'll just paraphrase through the story for you, the Bible doesn't say exactly, but there has to be something where they're watching the whole encounter because the encounter, the sexual encounter between this man and woman are interrupted because the Bible does say that she was caught in the act. So she is taken Already living, I believe, a life of shame, already living in a culture that looked down upon her, already looking at her life of not being able to improve. I mean, she, then being used by religious men, then being taken from the very act and thrust into the presence of Jesus publicly, not privately, but publicly. And there's no mention of her being covered there's no mention of her being clothes being put on. There's no mention of her being able to make herself uh, and prepare herself to see Jesus Christ. No, they just are using her. And they're using her to try to take down Jesus, trying to, to bring him down. And, and the way that the story goes is that Jesus, you know, he doesn't really acknowledge the whole thing, but he just begins to write in the dirt there in front of all the people and those religious rulers, they start to leave one by one. And there's been a lot of speculation, you know, what did Jesus write exactly? But I, I do like this one speculation more than the others is that he was writing down their names and the popular sin in their life. And as they were watching that exposure, they began to walk away so that he was left with this woman. The reason he was left with this woman was twofold, or actually a couple things, but 
One of them was to remind us that Jesus will accept you as you are. Used, neglected, abandoned. Maybe you're in the sex trade today and that's your choice. Jesus receives you and accepts you as you are. He accepts you. You know, maybe you're addicted to drugs today. God accepts you in Christ Jesus. He receives you. Maybe you're drunk. Maybe you're drunk right now, right here. Well, God loves you and he accepts you right now, right here. Maybe you're a notorious gossip or a liar. And on and on the list can go. You need to be reminded that the blood of Jesus Christ is enough to forgive your sin too. What's happened to the church? What's happened to us? Really ask the question where it applies. What's happened to us? Are we now only accepting people that have cleaned their life up? Is that, are we the only, now are we the only, do we only accept people that have gone through the process now and, and we're not, we don't make room for the weakness of sin. We don't make room for the destruction of sin. And now we're just all quickly prejudging people because they look this way, they act this way, they smell this way. What's happened to the church? And I think we have to ask ourselves, are we still going to navigate in our community accepting people as they are in their current condition? So many of us, we walked into a church in our current condition a friend came over to my house and my, he came into my house where sin ruled the day and gave me the message that God loved me and accepted me as I was. Church, you've got to check your heart. We're so quick to label people. We just let the world teach us how to label people. So once they're labeled, we don't have to deal with them anymore. But that's sin in and of itself. So now the church, is, the church has a, a reputation that has become, you know, they're not known for their love for one another. They're known because they're the quickest ones to point out every wrong in society. They're the quickest ones to point out every difficulty. They're the quickest ones to, to have that self-righteousness about them instead of being on the highways and the byways compelling people to come to the Lord. But it starts with acceptance. We need to accept people in their current condition. Listen, don't misunderstand me. Easily you could walk down the path and go, wait a minute, Ed, doesn't the blood of Jesus Christ matter? It does. Doesn't the cross of Christ matter? It does. Doesn't, doesn't God want to change lives? He does. But unfortunately now people have to get through us. And we need to make a way for people to come to the cross and cease this prejudgment of people's lives. Have you forgotten where you've come from? Have you forgotten the condition of your life apart from Christ? It's very difficult for me to forget. It's, memories plague me almost every day of my life of my past. And I don't, in one way, don't ever want to forget what God delivered me from. Because that's the very gateway. I want to help people see that they too can experience peace with God that God will deliver them. That woman, back to the Bible story, that woman, Jesus made it really clear. He says to the gal, where are your accusers? I don't know, they're gone. Well, neither do I. And what did he tell her? Go and sin no more. And that's God's word to you today. Go and sin no more. See, the acceptance of you isn't approval of sin. 
Because sin will wreck your life. Sin will continue to separate you from God. Sin will ruin everything that you touch. It, it will be like mold in a house. It'll just grow and grow and make everyone sick that comes in contact with it. S sin is destructive. So, so when we say to you today, and I declare to you today on behalf of God that God accepts you as you are, it's not his desire for you to stay as you are. He wants to do a thorough work on the inside in your life. He, he, wants, to take, he wants you to experience the God of all peace. But at church, we, we can't get in the middle. We can't build barriers between people and God. We need to care about our city to the point where we walk into people's problems and just realize that, that not, if we don't, it, not only do we need to walk into people's problems, but people's problems are gonna walk in here. That's why this church, our church is so messy. And I don't mean the carpet or any of that. I mean lives. They're just so messed up and difficult and hard. And it's not just Christians dealing with stuff. It is people dealing with stuff. It's the after effects and the consequences and the challenges that sin brings. We're not just this little holy huddle where you know nobody else can get in because we're already here. No, we want to compel people to, you're welcome here. Maybe you're listening on the radio, you're listening, watching online, you're welcome here. You're welcome to join this community of believers. We want you to be a believer. You have to understand though, when you come into a community of believers like this, we're not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you. The behavior that you're in that you know intrinsically is not right. God agrees with you it's not right. It's so not right that the sacrifice of the great shepherd had to die on your behalf. And if you continue to live in your sin, right? We accept you as you are, but if you continue to live that way apart from God, you will spend eternity separated from God. Sometimes you will hear that referred to as you'll spend forever in hell. But there's actually other words in the Bible to describe that, like the lake of fire, like Gehenna, as real as heaven is. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody generally in the world believes in heaven. But for heaven to be real, hell has to be real too. They go together. You just, not everybody's gonna get into heaven. Not everyone's gonna enjoy. Listen, the, the one, one person put it this way. Like, if you don't wanna live for God right now, what makes you think you're gonna change your mind? You won't. God will give you the desire of your heart, not only now, but for all eternity. And as believers in Jesus, we need to be walking with the gospel. We, we need to allow stepping into the messy parts of lives. We need to build trust in someone that they will hear us and receive from us. And you know that trust is built through genuine agape love that we would truly love people. And that, that's where he closes this whole letter off in Hebrews, the God of all peace, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How he reconciled and brought people back. How in verse 21, he wants even in the midst of your mess, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Verse 23 says, know that our brother Timothy has been set free 
Timothy got out of jail. Whatever happened to Timothy, he's been set free. And notice, he's, he's gonna come with me. Like, he was set free so that he could continue to serve God. And that's how it is with your life. You're set free so you can serve God. You've been set free. Maybe you got out of jail. Well, you got out of jail to serve God. Maybe you got out of the prison of addiction, you prison of diva, whatever it is, you've been saved to serve God, just like Timothy. He didn't get, he wasn't set free so he can just rest. He was set free to serve the Lord. And then in verse 24, say hello to everyone. Um, people from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen and amen. And God wants you to experience his peace. Jesus was the one that was sent to mend your life. And may he equip you and heal you and strengthen you for every good work, church. So much is broken in our lives, in our bodies, in our families, sometimes for years and years and years, generation after generation. Things are getting harder, not easier. But listen, no medication, no alcohol, no marijuana, no opioid, no psychologist has the ability to mend your life. Only a risen, powerful Savior paid the price to bring peace with God and the peace of God in your life. There is no other way. And he wants to mend those places in your life. Sometimes we get so caught up with church culture and popular culture. We get so influenced with popular opinions and narratives that we forget the broken, hurting world around us. And Jesus wants to reach them just like he reached you. So it's almost like for the Hebrews, he goes like, he's telling the Hebrews, just settle this thing. Stop thinking about going backwards. Settle your life. Make that, to reaffirm that decision to follow Jesus and get back to the place of reconciling people to God. Don't get caught up in all the narratives and all the, you know, even the little church culture that we can have, but let's just be true, real believers serving him with our lives fighting the good fight of faith. Let's end here. Would you turn over to Nehemiah? As the worship team will come back up, we're going to have a time of communion this afternoon. Would you turn back to Nehemiah in the Old Testament, chapter 4? Such an encouraging verse to us. In verse 13 of chapter 4, Nehemiah, there's discouragement among the people. There is difficulty. There are enemies coming against them. And Nehemiah stands up and he says, well, first it shows us what he did. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. I set the people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked, he says in verse 14, and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And that's the word of the Lord to us today. Settle in your life to follow Jesus and then stand up and fight for your families, for your kids, for your church family. Make the harder choice. Make the harder choice to fight in the spiritual realm. Be careful not to get caught up in all the cultural things of even as we're seeing a major cultural shift in the church today, and some of you are caught up in it. The power of the church is not political. The power of the church is spiritual. It's the spirit of God that will save you and strengthen you and help you. 
the Spirit of God will empower you. You have no continuing city here. So don't put your hope in man. Don't put your hope, you know, we, we were thinking last night, you know, some people put their hope in chariots, some people put their hope in horses, and you're like, I don't get it. I've never put my hope in a chariot or a horse in my whole life. But really, the psalmist is telling us that there are many options to put your trust in. Military might, strength, amassing wealth, and having things. And if 2020 hasn't taught you anything, it needs to. That nothing is certain except the word of God and the presence of God in our lives. Nothing is certain. And, and I just don't, don't be so quick to put your hope in something that is no power whatsoever. Nehemiah gets the people together and goes, I know it's bad, and I know it's hard, and I know it's discouraging, and I know the enemies are pressing in, and they want to take us out. It's like they didn't just want to stop the work. They wanted to kill the people. And Nehemiah goes, you know, enough is enough. Don't be afraid. That's where it starts. Don't be afraid. And then he says, stand up and fight because every battle belongs to the Lord. Every single battle in your life belongs to the Lord. And so, Father, we're asking now that, you know, as we wind down Hebrews and we come to that place, you know, even where we are in our our world today, that you would stir us as a church to be the church, to walk in humility and brokenness before you, to remember the brokenness of this world around us as our hearts turn to you in communion today. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.